Activating the time portal. Land before time land, land before time land. From the Cretaceous to the Jurassic, from the Great Green Valley to the Big Big Water. This land was made for time and land. Welcome to Land Before Timeland, the podcast where we put ourselves through every single Land Before Time movie in the franchise of, what is it, 14? 14. 14. I thought you were going to ask, like, in the franchise that is the Land Before Time. I've forgotten how many there are. There's quite a a few, yes. I'm Chris, (laughs) with me is Maddie, and our special guest star joining us in Land Before Timeland today. Uh, You may know him as Doggins from his myriad YouTube videos discussing theme parks and other topics. Please welcome David Ganzel. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here, taking a break from my homeland after time stopped having meaning to uh, visit this land before time even existed. Yeah, we're we're sort of in this this space between spaces, uh, more of a land of the lost than a distinct time in the past... uh, Exactly. A pocket uh, dimension. I'll give you the physics yeah. lecture later if you like. Or now, who cares? I I'll, mean, I'll, let's just, uh, <laughs> got, do you have seven hours to kill? Well, uh, there are 48,000 planes of existence, and if you put a rock further back in the river of time, it fractions off into 19 cubed other planes of existence. I'll, I'll, I'll put all this at the end for the interested listener. Yeah, we all come from uh, crazy um, alternate dimensions. My homeland, of course, is the television show Homeland. Which is ironic, uh, yes. um, and uh, very, very racist. But anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, so David, uh, what is your experience with the Land Before Time franchise? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I owned the first one on VHS as a kid, so I watched it a couple of times. And then uh, one week, my family rented a handful of the sequels, and I can actually list every single thing I remember from any of the Land Before Time sequels, uh, which I'm sure is all stuff you've gotten to already. (laughs) On one hand. Uh, So you remember them really well is what you're saying. (laughs) I remember parts of them vividly. I know I saw the second one because I remember Chomper, and I also saw whichever one Chomper comes back in. Right, that would be Uh, the fifth one. Yeah, they all all kind of blur together into a seamless whole. Uh, as we've discovered. This is actually one of the most distinct ones. Uh, the Land Before Time 8, The Big Freeze. The Big Freeze. A.K.A. The Snow One, uh, which is memorable if only because the aesthetic is completely different from all the others. Yes, it's Christmas time in the Great Valley, and Littlefoot doesn't know what to get Petrie for Christmas. That's not what it's about, <laughs> as uh, amazing as that would be. So what 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 are your first impressions coming off of this film? What struck you about it? Because there were a few things that struck us. Well, uh, one of the things that struck me is that the animation was better than I expected it to be, which is a low bar to clear. We had the same reaction. It is actually significantly better than the animation of most of these sequels. The animation has taken a significant uptick. 
Um, mm. The last one we watched, part seven, was the one where they started using computer assistance for the first time. But this is the one it feels like where they really started using the computer for all that it's worth. And the animation is actually quite expressive in this one compared to previous ones. I don't think the animation could conceivably get worse than number three. <laughs> yeah, three is still our low point for the series. Um as of right, I'm sure that's going to get passed pretty soon. This one's notable to me because this is the first one I did not watch as a child. I watched mm. the first seven Land Before Time movies as a kid, and I just... I feel like a lot of my opinions are 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 colored by that, even though they're all terrible movies, and I've said so on the podcast. But this is the first one where I'm just completely uh, going into it blind. And you know, like we said, this one is actually better somehow than the other ones. I mean, I know that makes means nothing to you, David, because you haven't been on this journey with us. But <laughs> well, I, I will say because. The other two things I vividly remember from other sequels. I remember uh, the one moment where Spike shouted out Ducky's name when she was in trouble from whichever movie that was in. Mm -hmm. that and would, I distinctly yeah. remember him never speaking again after that point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. Um, though, fun fact, he does kind of speak a little bit in this one. He, he, has, sa he, he says, says his... He says mama. He says mama. Yeah. One, right? He says mama in this one, Which yes. I believe is his, his second word his ever. His second word. His second word ever. Yeah. But, you know, let's not uh, spoil things. Let's just... <laughs> dive right into the land before time ape the big freeze I, I have one more thing to say before we get into the plot specifics okay which is this one for a land before time sequel has a surprisingly emotional and effective story compared to the others it's it's not great but this one gets much much closer to being a quote-unquote good movie than any of the others this one is definitely story-wise and in terms of execution and the drama and the dialogue, the best of the sequels so far. But there's plenty to complain about, so don't about, uh, yeah. don't don't skip this one, listeners. It's, it's not it's not a great movie. It's still not that great. So anyway, we we open the movie as we open all of the sequels in space again. Who would have fucking thought it? Who would have seven thought? times in a row? We're in space. It's the Star Trek Next Generation intro all over again. I I love that eight movies in we're still explaining what dinosaurs are although they never bother to explain who the characters are like they trust us to remember all the characters don't give them any reintroductions well but that's the well, whole broad concept of dinosaurs well, that's we be might be that's on. because they they have reintroduced the characters in like the first like four of them and i guess at some point they're like okay they they fucking get it let's just get let's just get into it. we don't have time anymore we're past the origin story for Look, these the kids will remember Sarah. They'll remember Petrie. They just not might remember. They just might not remember what dinosaurs are in the first place. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is a good point. Like yeah. if they, they don't remember <laughs> dinosaurs, uh, but we 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 just assume they remember the. the that's actually I know like, David. I have never thought about that. I will have to write Mister uh, Lamb before time. Yeah, every <laughs> every single movie so far has started with millions of years ago. There were dinosaurs. And I'm just waiting, I think I've said this before, but I'm just waiting for the moment where it becomes millions or maybe thousands of years ago, there were dinosaurs. 
Well, we get a little tease of that mindset uh, later. Yes, uh, with, I, I uh, guess. I know what you're talking about. That's, yes, that's I'm true. very, I'm yeah, very excited. That's true. I'm glad you noted we'll, that. We'll get to that. Uh, one thing about this opening that I like is that the title, The Big Freeze, appears over the sun, which made me giggle a little bit. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I'm, I'm not proud. Uh, <laughs> I laughed at that. <laughs> I, do, I do love the title, The Big Freeze, mainly for two reasons. One, I like it because it sounds like what a slogan would say on a poster at a Six Flags advertising the large icy or something. (laughs) Come on in for the big freeze. And two, I really like the idea of some parent accidentally renting the big chill by mistake. (laughs) Yeah, like like, uh, those old blockbuster cassettes that didn't have a picture on the box. It just had the title in black text. Oh, the big chill. Or even like an adult watching the big freeze and is like, this is... uh... A lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be. I didn't know there were dinosaurs just, you know, arguing about their lives. This intro, I think, is, is pretty funny compared to a lot of the narrate because all of these open with a narration of millions of years ago, like we said. Uh, this one uh, gets a little weird where the narrator is like, dinosaurs were just like us, you know? Although these great beasts seem so unlike us, in some ways they weren't so different at all. Like people... They came in all sizes and shapes and colors. Yes. Uh, they swam, and I'm like, yeah, and they talked. Yeah. <laughs> just like us. And they had insomnia, just like us. There's a moment where, like, they're, uh, they, like, right through the part where the narrator says, some could swim and some could not. And we just see, like, a T-Rex just walk straight into the water. <laughs> like, he just forgot that he couldn't swim. <laughs> like, he's just, just right at it. It's awesome. My my mind goes back to Futurama where they unveil the tank at the aquarium full of prehistoric creatures. There's just a T-Rex in the tank desperately trying to tread water. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, after this, we get into, uh, the, into the plot. Uh, Ducky can't sleep because Spike is keeping her awake with moving around and snoring. And she's very upset about it. Please, not tonight. Do not make the sleep rumbles. I am so tired. I thought it was very funny that like the segue into the story proper is the narrator saying and just like all of us sometimes some dinosaurs had a hard time getting to sleep and just like all of us sometimes some had a hard time getting to sleep yeah which is fun because they're animals like who fucking even who fucking knows it's it's a it's a bit of a an effort to finally link the narration with the narrative instead of just starting with a musical number so um ducky stays up all night because spike is keeping her up with snoring and the next day she is falling asleep during school the dinosaurs have invented school yes uh first time we have never seen these dinosaurs in school before but now they they just have school it's it's great so so the teacher is voiced by rafiki himself robert yes. guillaume mm-hmm. but, yes but not doing the rafiki voice but when he first started talking for a split second i thought it was uh jeff bennett's impression of dennis hopper from animaniacs oh like, yeah he, sure. he just had that that sort of spaced out tone and i was like is is <laughs> like what what a wacky character voice but i but i think it was just robert guillaume speaking naturally yeah well he starts off very very much impersonating the idea of the boring schoolmaster who just keeps on <laughs> blathering on and on and on and on and on and uh 
Ducky is falling asleep because she actually has a justification to be falling asleep, but every other character is just falling asleep because he's so boring. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Bennett is all over these movies, by the way. He's he's in every single one. Yeah, not surprising. <laughs> but, but I love when, like, Ducky's falling asleep. The professor asks, like, was your family up all night gathering tree stars? And she's like, no. And he's like, well, then you have no reason to be tired. Was your herd up all night gathering tree stars? No. Then please try to stay awake. I'm like, yes, the only excuse yeah, that's to your, be that's any kind of note. exhausted is, yeah, you were gathering tree stars, the fucking currency, I guess, of this world. <laughs> We've talked a lot about tree stars and just how well, bizarre that, that, that That's just is. early dinosaur capitalism. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> tree stars are value. Because they don't have land, I guess. You we, know, we they, are, they haven't discovered property yet. So all they, they have don't is have fucking. Land, they don't have time. They they. <laughs> you, you, this is you, you this is. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if this was like actually like before time, like per scene and per second, like just Littlefoot's growing up and getting younger, just like randomly. Well, that's, all, that's why this... he doesn't grow up because there's no time yet. Yeah, the whole the whole movie is like the equivalent of like the fucking uh, terror tunnel from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> there's a lot of spinning lights and uh, just absolute mayhem. It's the ending of 2001. Yeah. Absolutely. With, with so many sequels, you'd think eventually they'd get to the invention of time, but nope. Every one of these is still before time. Well, then they'd have to they'd have to change the title, which would take yeah. a lot of effort. And it's called the the <laughs> the, the, the the land time, <laughs> time land. The land on the verge of time. Ooh, we're almost at time land. <laughs> the land that time forgot. Ooh, that would never work. So so here we get into one of my favorite moments where uh, the teacher, whose name is uh, Mr. Thicknose, uh, is explaining evolution to the dinosaurs. And Littlefoot asks, well, how do you know evolution <laughs> Well, if it's too far back for anyone to remember, then how do you know it even happened? I, uh, well, uh... <laughs> were you there? Yeah, he literally says that. He's like, were you there? Did you see evolution happen? And, like, Mr. Thicknose is all flustered. And you're supposed to be, like, rewarding Littlefoot for, like, asking a question, but he's asking a very stupid question. But but it's kind of like <laughs> Mr. Thicknose, of course, has no understanding of the fossil record or paleontology or genetic <laughs> evidence yes. or anything like that. So... How does he know that evolution happened? It's kind of like this weird reversal. Yeah, that's true. We and we learn later that he's never even left the Great Valley, which we'll get to that. And he so how did he he must have heard it from another dinosaur. Another dinosaur must have just been like rambling after I don't know eating too, um, inhaling too much fucking volcano smoke or whatever the <laughs> shit they do to get high in dinosaur land <laughs> and just started spewing out nonsense about like evolution and like dude you don't understand when i wake up there's this narrator just in my head saying millions <laughs> of years ago in the time of the dinosaurs and i'm going crazy and i uh, could swear it's mr threehorn <laughs> sometimes it's grandpa <laughs> grandpa dinosaur Oh, I just wish God. one of these sequels would start with the narration from the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> the, and hey, what if they found a way back? Yeah. <laughs> or even just the Super Mario uh, cartoon shows. Hey, Paisanos, it's the land before time land. You'll be hooked on the dinos. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> All right, so they're still in fucking school or whatever. But yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's very interesting that this is the movie where climate change comes to the to the Great Valley, but it's also the movie that teaches you to question evolution. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't I don't think that's really anybody's ideology. I don't know. That that, that seems to be a, a, to, to question evolution. To question evolution, but be on board with climate change. I don't know if that exists in this country. Uh, yeah, that's um. That's a tough one. Um, we'll we'll do some research <laughs> on the different sects of Christianity. There's going to be some subreddit there that's all about evolution, no climate change, yes. Yeah. So at this point, I'm not actually really sure what what Mr. Thicknose is teaching the the children, um, because like he's just kind of teaching them what it's like to be a dinosaur, which they already know because yeah, it's they're a very, dinosaurs. It's a very strange lesson. His lesson is about how each type of dinosaur gathers food. You know, like. Like, uh, well, some some dinosaurs uh, have long necks and other dinosaurs, uh, you know, knock over trees. And it's like, well, I think they all know how they harvest food already. Um, <laughs> M- Mr. Thicknose is a pretty good own here that I like where Littlefoot says, I know how long necks eat. And Mr. Thicknose goes, yes, so do I. But we're not talking about long necks, are we? <laughs> oh, I know how long necks do it. Yes, Littlefoot. So do I. But I am not talking about long necks at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, dude, fucking put him in his place, dude. I appreciate that. I was wondering if, like, there was some mandate that there had to be more educational information about dinosaurs in these movies. Like, there had to be some sort of biology lesson about the different breeds of dinosaurs and how they gathered. I will say, as as the resident dinosaur nerd, that uh, most of that stuff about dinosaurs ramming their heads into trees to cause leaves to fall down is utter nonsense. <laughs> well, hey. I figured it wouldn't be accurate because it's a Land of Four Times sequel. But. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you're saying is that they had a mandate to make the show more educational, but we're actually just like, fuck it, no one's going to fact check us. <laughs> we're just, <laughs> just make stuff up. Just make some- Something. All right. I mean, I'm I'm into that. But it's really <laughs> funny because you know th- this is a this is a society before they've invented words that mean multiple things. They they haven't invented compound words. They don't have Latin. So every single thing is just like, oh, uh, thunder is sky rumbles, rain is sky water, <laughs> you know. But uh, the method of using your head to ram into a tree and cause leaves to fall down is called the cranial impactus method. <laughs> uh, which I just assume he he just made up. He invented Latin. But, but now he knows what a cranium is. He knows what an impact is. I don't know. Also, I love that Mr. Thicknose is only teaching these five dinosaurs. Like nobody else gets an education. And the Great Valley is just it's just our main crew. These are the privileged private school kids who get their own personal tutor. Is this a, is this a charter school? That <laughs> That's cool. Uh, but, yeah. I'm pay- but we're paying it with our tax with our tax tree stars. It's it's a big conspiracy by the adults. Like uh, if we if we tie them up with school, they won't go on so many perilous adventures every week. (laughs) (laughs) Literally just just keep them busy. God, what else fucking happens here? Uh, Spike eats uh, Ducky's packed lunch, which is pretty great because Ducky just makes this face of abject horror 
Again, leading to our theory that tree stars are some kind of cocaine or marijuana yeah. product that people are just addicted to. <laughs> tea is for tree stars. That's good enough for me. <laughs> uh, Sarah is a teacher's pet, which I appreciate because, like, Littlefoot gets in trouble for asking questions. And Sarah hates questions, so she's, like, perfect for school. You know, because she's just like... <laughs> Sarah, Sarah is stubborn among her own peer group, but she's very conforming when it comes to indoctrination. Yeah, yes. I think the only thing she cares about is just, like, making parents happy honestly she seems like uh like an angelica type of character where she's just kind of mean to her friends but is like nice when the the adults are around after the class of the school scene ends finally they start to play with a melon and they call it a ball yeah. which blows my fucking mind because yeah, you're just are... talking about they make up weird names for things but they have ball like there's no fucking rhyme or reason to this Civil- shit civilization is forming gradually <laughs> In the Great Valley. We're watching schools. We're watching sports. Like we had bowling in the last movie. We did have bowling in the last one, yes. We had had representative artwork in the last movie as well. Spike Mm -hmm. drew a little picture of Ducky in the dirt. They are slowly inventing a society, and it's a shame that it's all going to be destroyed when the super volcano they live in explodes. (laughs) Or, you know, the fucking meteor. Do you think that if it were to go long enough, the Land Before Time series would eventually dovetail into the Flintstones universe? Oh, I would love that. Oh, yeah, here, uh, Ducky um, is very confused because uh, she is being mad for the first time. Ducky is mad at Spike for first keeping her up and then eating her tree stars. And she is experiencing the emotion of anger for the first time in her young life. And she she goes to Sarah for help and she's like, Sarah, what is this feeling I'm having? And Sarah's like, well, you're just thinking about boys. No, it's not that. Oh, you must be mad. I know all about that. If there's one thing us three horns know about, it's being mad. Because Sarah is an expert at being mad. So Sarah decides to to teach uh, Ducky uh, to be mad. While this is happening, um, we find uh, Spike meets other Spike Tails who talk, which destroyed one of our early theories that um, Stegosauruses couldn't talk in this universe. Yeah, I, which... I, I thought I thought maybe Spike's uh, mute nature was was a commentary, a joke on on Stegosaurus having uh, walnut sized brains. But no, apparently he's. Just uh, he's just a very laconic fellow because all the other Spike tails are well capable of speaking. It's just Spike in particular uh, does not speak. It, it's like the robot chicken sketch about E.T. going back to his home planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so after this, they sing uh, the Mad song. It's like a mirror universe version of the Mr. Rogers, what do you do with the mad that you feel song? Oh, for sure. I I fucking, I mean, everything about this song is just uh, amazing for me. One where like they're trying to figure out how to be mad and Ducky says, I could pretend to be your dad. I could pretend I am your dad. Which is fucking great. Uh, (laughs) And then Ducky goes, what if I start to feel better? And Sarah's like, no. And once you get mad, you've got to stay mad. your garage until they grovel (laughs) (laughs) and she literally says you hold it until they grovel which is amazing sarah the finale of the song the crescendo is you know sarah says and if you're really really mad you scream and she screams and her scream like echoes across the great valley and then her dad there's just a (laughs) shot elsewhere of her dad being like Oh, my daughter's mad at somebody. That's my girl. <laughs> oh, she's mad at somebody. <laughs> my, my, I, my, 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 mad. 
I'm, I'm sure every parent loved this movie teaching their kids to just scream at the top of their lungs. Yes, I, I noted that too. I noted that too when we were watching. Like, this one must have been a fucking nightmare for parents. Like, just there's a dance, everyone's screaming. The instrumental for the song sounded like a royalty free garage band track that would be called 50s Diner Doo Wop or something like that. And <laughs> it's, very, it's, like, it's, yeah, I agree with that. It's still a fun song. It, yeah, it's, it's not, it's, it's not the worst by far. Uh, of the series yeah it's from it's from the royalty free music.com or, or whatever it is i also was very amused that like for the first half of the song most of sarah's advice of what to do when you're mad basically just was teaching ducky how to make the facial expressions of anger yes like the, the, the part of anger that you would think comes naturally is the part that she has to be coached through no, the first, and she no, doesn't you fake know it how. until you make it is like, what you gotta do like she doesn't know how to frown like she's so used to smiling like sarah has to teach her how to frown and she's like straining her face muscles to frown adequately uh significantly there is no suggestion of of being violent or aggressive in this song there's no like yeah. you gotta smash stuff and punch stuff there's none of that because they don't want kids doing that they just want kids pouting and screaming at their parents not breaking faces anyway after this amazing moment happens uh we cut the little foot who overhears a, a parent-teacher conference going on, which yes. is, God, I've been there. Yeah, Mr. Thicknose is complaining to Grandpa Longneck about Littlefoot uh, being disrespectful. It's like, uh, Littlefoot's been uh, asking a lot of questions. He keeps saying, uh, why do we have to say the Pledge of Allegiance at every uh, morning? Uh, it's very, uh, yeah, we're going to send- I pledge allegiance to the tree star. <laughs> We're going to have to send him away uh, to a different school. He's teaching me evolution in school, Grandpa. I don't think that public schools should do that. Worth noting, Grandpa is voiced by Kenneth Mars, so this scene was a confrontation between Rafiki and Triton. That's so, true. That even is true. this Universal franchise has way too much Disney in it. Yeah, the, the, the round table of voice actors in this franchise is pretty much Kenneth Mars, Rob Paulson, Jeff Bennett, Tress McNeil, and uh, an assortment oh, yeah, I, of I guest heard stars. A lot of Tress McNeil. Grandpa is, is sympathetic to Littlefoot and explains to him that you are uh, you're cucking your teacher and you can't <laughs> yes. keep asking all these questions. And that's where Littlefoot learns what dignity is. Dignity? What's that? It's the feeling that you're appreciated, that you have something to offer and others know it. A term he's never heard before and will never hear since, I think, at this point in his life. <laughs> but a term that dinosaurs have a word for. Yes. Uh, yeah, so dinosaurs the... are nothing if not dignified. <laughs> So the character of Mr. Thicknose, he's the oldest dinosaur in the Great Valley, and he um, purportedly has much wisdom. And he's apparently very insecure uh, when his wisdom is questioned because he wants to be the smartest dinosaur in the room. He, that's the only way he, he gets respect and feels like he belongs. And so um, Grandpa Longneck explains all this to Littlefoot. You know, you can't rob a man of his dignity. Of course, we find out later Mr. Thicknose doesn't know shit about anything, but that's, uh, that's a plot twist. At this point, uh, Littlefoot wakes up from his sleep to discover snow that it is snowing in the great valley so he tells his teacher this and his teacher uh loses his mind 
and says, no, snow doesn't happen in the Great Valley. So they don't call it snow. They call it something stupid. What do they call it, Chris? <laughs> do you remember what they call it, David? It, it was like sky stars falling that turned to water when you touched them. And were yeah, it's, yeah, it's something yeah. like sky, yeah, it's, sky it's stars. It's like shiny sky stars or something like that. We're going to call it snow. Don't worry. Shiny cold uh, stars. <laughs> By the way, shiny sky star is my porn name. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. No, I know. You didn't have to tell me that. Um, but, <laughs> uh, there's a great line here. That, that I think is, is kind of legitimately funny where um, Littlefoot goes, Petrie, you believe me, don't you? And Petrie goes, me believe you, but then me believe anything. You believe me, don't you? Oh, sure. Me believe you, but then me believe anything. <laughs> this, is pretty, this is pretty great and also true. Um, this is the first, it should be noted, the first Land Before Time movie we've watched that uh, really focuses in on characters besides Littlefoot. Like, this is very much Spike and Ducky's movie. Uh, Littlefoot actually kind of plays more of a supporting role. And uh, Petrie, Petrie's just kind of there to, to say a few lines every now and then. Usually, it's the Littlefoot show. I feel like this one, though, was nervous to make it too much not about Littlefoot, because it really felt like the two main plot threads, which was the uh, Littlefoot thick nose conflict and the ducky spike conflict they were really uh struggling to decide which one was the a story and which one was the b story <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll agree with that i i mean i think it's it's balanced enough as, as we're gonna get in this, this stupid franchise again i think they, they do spend more time on the ducky stuff which i think is correct that's the way you you should be doing it yeah the the little foot thick nose plot is is the same kind of like boring plot that you would have in any of these movies where it's just mm. about like oh you got to treat your elders with respect uh, but the story that ends up emerging with ducky and spike is is much more interesting basically uh because ducky is mad at spike spike kind of goes off on his own and meets the other herd of of spike tails and basically it's it's about how you know spike's found his people and he wants to hang out with them more and more and this drives a wedge between spike and ducky which actually gets pretty emotional as the movie goes on and that's kind of the main the main conflict from here on out. Uh, at this point, we see uh, Ducky uh, playing with her family, which is a first for this franchise. Uh, we never get to see her family, and I guess they do things together. Yeah, they're swimming around in a pool, splashing, yeah. doing swimmer stuff. Yeah, and Spike feels bad because he can't swim, and Ducky's kind of rubbing it in his face because she's still mad at him. Ducky, I think Spike feels left out. I cannot help it if I can swim, but Spike cannot. I am a swimmer, and he is not. The the Stegosaurus mother, who talks of a very thick... Uh, uh, kind of Midwestern, that Minnesota kind of Fargo accent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> comes up and says, "Yeah, it's like, oh, who are you?" And 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 uh, I don't know what Ducky's mother's name is, Mrs. Swimmer. Um, <laughs> Mrs. Swimmer is like, "Oh, I'm Spike's mother." And the the Stegosaurus goes, "Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm his mother. Really? How nice? <laughs> oh, oh well, how interesting! It's that it's that you know, um, uh, feigning politeness, middle aged woman like." Oh, you adopted him? Well, isn't that nice? <laughs> what a world. After that, Spike goes to play with uh, the new family and gets to know what it's like to be 
a stegosaurus, which is just... And they all act exactly like him, which is just eating all the time. Yeah, which is, again, what all the fucking dinosaurs do. Like, what is <laughs> what is there to learn here? They all act like him, except they can talk. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's a montage that happens. This part was actually pretty emotional, where we see, like, Ducky get sad at Spike spending more time with, with, the, with these stegosauruses. And I, I was definitely starting to get affected by it, which I've never had before um, in these sequels. It did do the thing where, like, both Ducky and Spike seem to not know what they want, which is very realistic for childhood, <laughs> where where they, they both keep going back and forth between being mad at each other, but then being upset when each other isn't there, but then being upset again when they are together again. And it, yeah, it's, it is realistic. Yeah, true to childhood mood swings. One thing I did notice is that uh, first when Ducky's mom was talking to Mrs. Stegosaurus, uh, she says, Spike lost his parents, blah, blah, blah. And then later we see the kids watching the grownups from a distance. She's explaining it again to Mr. Stegosaurus. And I am 99% sure they just used the same exact soundbite from uh, earlier when she was explaining the backstory. <laughs> uh, you're probably right. It, it was like in the Star Wars special edition when they put back in the Jabba scene, so now there's two uses of Han saying, even I get bored sometimes. You think I had a choice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like one scene was written to replace the other scene, but now they're both there. <laughs> this 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 franchise isn't, uh, isn't made for top dollar, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but um, it is the most legitimately emotionally affecting stuff that we've had in these movies for me since the first one, which is which is it's saying something. It's praiseworthy, you know. We've we've got the most uh, the most watchable, effective of the sequels thus far. Part of the problem with doing sequels to The Land Before Time in the first place is that the first story was a very easy built-in goal, being like a search for the promised land narrative. Yeah. Obviously, they went above and beyond just having it just be an A to B journey. You know, they had emotional stakes and character growth and all that. But then once you get to the promised land and then you're doing 15 more movies that are all just set, you know, well, now we found the promised land. Now what is there at stake? And so the stakes by nature kind of have to get smaller and smaller in terms of like the big dangers if if you're not going to invalidate the promise of the first movie that the Great Valley is your paradise. Exactly. That that's the problem from which the whole uh the whole franchise kind of kind of fatally bleeds. You know, the the big song at the beginning of the first sequel, you know, we finally found this peaceful valley just kind of sets the tone of, oh, everything's fine. So how do we possibly make things not fine? Well, it can only ever be that our characters find excuses to leave the Great Valley. And that happens again and again and again and again and again. And if it's not that, then some kind of disaster has to come to the Great Valley, which by this point has happened so many times that is it really the promised land that they uh they talked it yeah. up it's had a drought it's had forest fires it's had volcanic eruptions it's had snowfall sharp teeth get in all the time Earth i don't know shakes. if i want to live there now just by nature of being a more personal story about actual conflicts children face with each other this this is uh got a leg up on the other sequels i guess just by nature of actually having a relatable conflict that can happen anywhere, even in paradise. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of like Littlefoot losing his mother in the first film. This is one of those things that's teaching kids not just about, oh, how do you deal with bullies or whatever, but it's teaching them your life's going to change. You're going to grow up. You're going to meet new friends. You might 
drift away from your old friends, these kind of changes are going to happen to you and you're going to have to cope with them. Littlefoot uh, wakes up to discover that there is even more snow and he's completely vindicated. He's like, I told you everything is right. I'm always right. And the dinosaurs <laughs> start to panic and they have a meeting where they're like, oh my God, what is all of this? I've never seen this before, which is impossible. There's no fucking way none of these dinosaurs have have never seen snow. That makes no fucking sense. They're migrating dinosaurs. Every, I mean, the first movie, I, I see this all the fucking time because I swear to God, this series just forgets the first movie ever happened because like in the first movie, they are all migrating dinosaurs. They're traveling from one place to the next. How is it that none of them have seen snow well at this point it's like the simpsons where it's like there's just a three-year radius of continuity in the franchise where yeah we can we can reboot how homer and marge met every 10 years and never question it like here it's like yeah we can reboot how we all got to the great valley every couple of years so but they do keep some things though from the first few movies it's not like they dump everything it's just more like oh our dinosaurs are just stupid, and they, they, they really try to insist that, like, the dinosaurs have always lived in the Great Valley, which we just know is not true. Yeah. It, that's not fucking, that's not what happened. Like, even in the last <laughs> one, in, in, in number seven, there's there's a moment where Grandpa tells a story of them going to the Great Valley, which is right out of the first movie. Yeah, so, the, like, uh, what the fuck is happening? So, it's like, the implication here is that, you know, in that wasteland that they journeyed through, no one ever, ever saw snow Ever. Nobody saw snowfall, you know, on a mountaintop or anything like that. You know, sure, dinosaurs lived in a tropical setting. There were probably in real life many dinosaurs that lived their entire lives without ever seeing snow. But, you know, the way they talk and pass on information and migrate and share stories just feels like they would know what snow is. Like, snow wouldn't be this mysterious to them. But we're, we're harping on that. But the snowfall did lead to one gag that I thought was kind of cute, and that was uh, Spike taking a big bite of snow and immediately getting brain freeze. Yeah. <laughs> that, that was fun. I, I definitely enjoyed that. Mr. Thicknose uh, is somebody who had heard of snow, but he gets in trouble because he didn't believe Littlefoot, which is honestly his fault because Littlefoot is always magically right about fucking everything. Like, literally... <laughs> Like, this is how stupid this franchise is. The last movie was, wouldn't you know it, about Littlefoot seeing something fall from the sky and nobody believing him. Yeah. The exact... I love it. It's the same shit over and over again. Uh, and people get mad at Mr. Thicknose for, like, not believing Littlefoot and, like, not predicting Snow is going to... F I don't understand what they're really mad about. Like, I don't get why they're angry at Mr. Thicknose. They, they expected him to know everything, and then he immediately didn't know one thing, and that invalidates everything else he's ever done or said. But again, I think even, like, one of the dinosaurs points this out. Like, how would he know... How would him knowing what snow is changed anything? Yeah, it's kind of like they're mad at him because he didn't warn them there would be snow, but it's like, well, what am I going to do? Like, like... Are you gonna are you gonna set up giant nets to stop the snow from falling if I warn you about it? Also, none of the dinosaurs would have believed it anyway because they never believe anything in these fucking movies. So it doesn't matter. It's it's a moot point. If the dinosaurs were anything like humans, they would still be saying the snow is a hoax and they just want you to wear masks to suffocate you. Dinosaurs uh, yes. are just like us, exactly. They're just, just like, like us. us. I mean, Mr. Threehorn is basically a Trump supporter. Oh, he, so. oh yeah, he's a fucking QAnon guy for sure. <laughs> it's um it's it's unmistakable. So uh, they, uh, Mr. Thicknose is like, yeah, I know, I know, snow's happening, but it'll probably melt in this tropical.
tropical valley in a few days, which is, you know, absolutely likely. So the dinosaurs have a cute scene where they're playing in the snow and they invent snowball yes. fights. Ducky invents the snowball fight. Again, with uh, the characters' immediate mood swings back and forth, Ducky accidentally invents the snowball fight because she's mad at Spike. And then seconds later, Spike and Spike's new friend are making snowballs for her to throw at the other dinosaurs. Again, they have pea brains. They can't remember what happened five <laughs> minutes ago. Yeah, they have gold, goldfish brains. It's very realistic to the uh, to the attention span of children, but it's just not very na- narratively satisfying. <laughs> uh, oh, I see in my notes, I did name the snow. It's called Ground Sparkles. Ground, Ground sparkles. sparkles. I did write that down. That's it. Okay. There's a there's a pretty great moment where Mr. Threehorn uh continues to prove that he has no chill and rolls like a giant fucking snowball to to grandpa because he always has to go too far. Yes, he has to take a little extra more than 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 is necessary. Mr. Threehorn is that kid who like built a a snowball fort and like stockpiled snowballs uh, and threw them really hard so he could like endlessly like win snowball fights and just like end them before they begin. Yeah, Mr. Three Horns the kind of character where it's like the Great Valley would probably be better if you weren't here. <laughs> Like, I think you just your mere existence creates like 80% of the problems in our life. Did they ever do any like prequels or flashbacks to when Mr. Threehorn was a kid? Because no, uh, not yet. They haven't we haven't seen anything like that yet. No, I, mean, I would I, be fascinated to see that. Oh, yeah, I would, too. I agree. Yeah, I, I'm sure we'll get the Sarah movie uh, uh, eventually. Because they're starting to branch out a little bit, you know. Last movie we got a little bit of Petrie uh, backstory action, so we should get some. We should get some three horn stuff eventually. I I do know a little later because I, I um I, I looked ahead a little bit in Wikipedia. I do know Mister Three Horn gets remarried to another Triceratops. Okay, so we'll get that eventually. Uh, so that that's something that happens eventually. Uh, so the dinosaurs are all playing in the snow, having a good time, and Littlefoot's like, I like the ground sparkles. They're fun, and then like. The next scene, there's like a blizzard going on because the snow hasn't gone away. And all the dinosaurs have suddenly remembered that they're cold-blooded or possibly cold-blooded reptiles. And they're like shivering in the snow and nobody can see anything. And there's a blizzard and they're walking and Littlefoot and Grandpa are walking against the blizzard. And Grandpa's got to rub it in. He's like, do you still like the ground sparkles, (laughs) Littlefoot? I like the white ground sparkles. Do you still like the brown sparkles, Littlefoot? You little shit. Do you like them now? (laughs) You little shit. (laughs) You fucking prick. Uh, A couple of things happen. I'm just going to skip over. Let's just get to the part where uh, Spike decides to leave Ducky and her family uh, to to travel with the Stegosauruses, the Spike Tails. Mm. Yeah, they're going to leave the Great Valley and go, you know, their herd is migratory. They're going to go look for other food and... Spike uh, feels more kinship with them, and uh, he's trying to decide whether he should leave with them or not. And Ducky gets really mad that he, you know, uh, oh, oh, well, if it's so hard to make up your mind, I'll make it up for you. Why don't you just go? Again, like, surprisingly effective for a stupid cash grab movie. Yeah. So I know Ducky and Spike are adopted siblings, but their dynamic has always read to me as more of like a girl and her dog. So, yeah, that is a good point. So it did feel and and part of it is just like every non-speaking animated animal character has always been coded as a dog. Every, you know, Flynn Rider's horse is a dog. You know, all these characters are always dogs. So 
it felt very, you know, every every movie where the scene where the kid has to get rid of their dog, you know, sending Airbud away. I'll disagree with you a, a little bit. I do think Ducky sees Spike as some kind of brother or sibling. Um, I, I they clearly love each other, and Ducky is probably the one of the group that does respect Spike the most and like listens to Spike the most versus everyone else. Yeah, but you've also been spending more time with these characters recently than I have. I mean, so. I have that. I Spike, have that advantage. Yes, it, it, it's Spike is definitely. Co- like a dog with the licking and everything, but they are going for the idea that this is a friendship that is falling apart. Um, like Ducky, like legitimately loves uh Spike, and Spike loves um Ducky. Uh, which leads to this actually kind of poignant moment where after Spike leaves, Ducky goes, "Why would Spike leave his family? Then what is a family?" I do not understand why Spike would leave his own family. I mean, then what is a family anyway? Yeah, that's a hell of a question for a little little swimmer to ask. And then we get this uh, this song about the question of, you know, what is a family? Is it somebody who's mm-hmm. like you or is it just somebody who loves you? What 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 this uh, this whole issue is explored in in a very sad and, and sweet little song. Is it someone who looks like us? Is it someone who acts like us? Is it someone who sleeps beside us in the nest? I will say for this song, the the first verse is Ducky and her mom pondering family. The second verse is just the rest of the friends pondering it. So when Sarah starts singing about Spike, he doesn't look like us. It's like, kid, you guys don't look like each other. <laughs> like, why, yeah. why is that a factor? Well, that's also what Sarah would say because she's comes from the racist family as we kind of <laughs> talked about earlier well of course you learn from these movies like mr three horn is a fucking problem and is filling sarah with some of the worst ideas you could ever have Tri- triceratopses uh argue against removing confederate statues that's the kind of people they are ducky uh decides to lie to her mother and goes off on her own to bring spike back the mm-hmm. other dinosaurs realize that this has happened because it always happens. And like, well, <laughs> I guess we might as well just do what we're supposed to do in these movies. Uh, Sarah goes, uh, why don't we just tell her mom, which, you know, is something they have never done ever <laughs> in these movies. Why would they start now? Yes. Yeah, st- standard, uh, standard little foot in the gang MO of we're just going to run off into the mysterious beyond by ourselves and save the day. And hope, hopefully not die. They run into Mr. Thicknose, who is at a, a very low point in his life, uh, for <laughs> sure. Uh, he's been um, uh, ostracized from the rest of the group, I guess, because he's just like standing by the entrance of the Mysterious Beyond. Yeah, he's very <laughs> sad because nobody respects his intelligence anymore. He's just going off to die in the snow because he lost his dignity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He just and uh, he finds out that the children are going off on their own, and uh, he decides to go with them. And I gotta tell you, there's nothing creepier than a teacher out with their students after school it's just fucking bizarre i hate seeing it it's not it's not okay i don't i don't like it but if it's during school then it's a field trip and then it's okay yes yeah but yeah no this is a snow day the last thing i want to see on a snow day is my (laughs) fucking teacher in the real world so anyway mr thicknose is like now i can't allow you kids to run off into the great valley by yourselves so i'm coming with you and he he comes with them which is a sign of depression 
mansion. He has no friends. He's going to just wander around with these kids. <laughs> An avalanche happens. I, I wrote that down because I don't remember what happens between these two scenes. Uh, <laughs> An avalanche of some kind happens. How does the avalanche happen, Chris? Somebody is yelling, uh, ducky, ducky, like trying to shout for ducky, and it causes an avalanche. And then later that that knowledge gets used to save the day. Uh, yes. Yeah, the avalanche uh, blocks off the pass to the Great Valley, so they can't get back in. Um, but then later in the film, they just use that fact to, oh, we'll just shout again, causing that avalanche to avalanche again, opening the pass back up, which which works somehow, even though that's the place where the snow settled. This is where uh, Mr. Thicknose reveals that he has never been to the mysterious beyond. In fact, he has never left the Great Valley, which again, I don't know how true that could possibly be. I'm pretty sure the Great Valley is a mig migration point. I don't think people grow up in the Great Valley. I guess now they do. It's like being a second generation Angelino, you know? It's like, they exist. They're just very rare. And I mean, yeah, I mean, Mr. Thicknose is this, you know, was just like this little uh, homeschooled kid that, you know, kind of had to learn about life lessons through television and uh, just, you know, his, his <laughs> I don't know, his uh, pen pals or whatever. They get chased by a sharp tooth. I think it's a T-Rex of some kind. Uh, Yeah, it's your standard land before time sharp tooth. It, it's like a little peril cul-de-sac where it's like, you know, you know, the sharp tooth was the big looming threat in the first movie and now by this point it's just like oh yeah there's a sharp tooth it's scary but let's just quickly deal with it and move on to the next thing yeah this film doesn't really have an antagonist the the sharp tooth is just a thing that shows up whenever they they need a little action sequence or danger. Uh, Gotta get they, those beats in. So they always, 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 always defeat Sharp Teeth by pushing a rock onto them from a cliff. Uh, but this time, it's a giant snowball that they push onto a Sharp Tooth from a cliff. This franchise is always figuring out new ways to innovate. That being disposed of, we have my favorite... My favorite line, where they find Ducky again, and she's like, Oh, I'm so happy to see all of you except you, and she looks at Sarah. I am so happy to see you. Yep, yep, yep. Except you. Huh? This is all your fault. You told me to be angry at Spike, and now look what has happened. Me? But I just told you to express your feelings. <sighs> I know. It's it like, says, this is all your <laughs> fault because you taught me how to be mad and all this came from you teaching me to be mad. And Sarah's just like, I was just trying to teach you to express your feelings. And Ducky's like, yeah, you're right. Like, and I'm like, yeah, like, she's yeah, just teaching yeah, you self-care. Yeah, Sarah is just teaching you to to have, you know, to vibe. Sarah is just teaching you to literally just vibe and this is how you repay her. I don't appreciate that. My queen, That's just Sarah. Um, we cut to the parents who are like, hey, have you seen our children who always run away? Like, no, what could have happened to them? And then that's just, and, and that, and that's just, and that just ends. We get to, um, uh, the, the most surprising thing you could ever see in a cartoon about snow, ice skating, discovering ice and how to ice skate has never happened before in an animation with talking animals during the snow. There's actually, uh, this is actually pretty funny because, uh, Chris, you predicted that the next thing which was going to happen was... Uh, yeah, they're skating on the ice, and I'm like, okay, so this is this part, but then somebody's going to go onto the thin ice, and it's going to crumble, and they're going to have to be rescued. And that happened, like, literally right as I was finishing my sentence. But this time there's a little twist because uh, they don't 
die and they actually discover a hot springs. Yes, the the water under the ice is a hot spring, which begs the question of why it was frozen over. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the dinosaurs uh, discover a hot spring, which I think technically makes this an anime, if I'm remembering correctly. I I think that's how this works. They're in this this hot spring and the water is red for some reason, uh, which I guess is just so they could get some color in this movie that wasn't white from the snow. It's, you know, hot tub lighting. It's 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 a very well furnished hot spring. There you go. It's it's uh it's it's like one of those uh LEDs underneath your your hot tub. Ooh, I like this. And the hot spring has food. Uh, it has uh, like river plants growing all around it, and they're like, "Oh, we can uh, we can go back and tell the grown-ups who are starving in the Great Valley about all this food." It turns out this whole time the real promised land was just slightly adjacent to the Green Valley. Yes, or to the Great Valley. <laughs> Uh, so they, they, they sing another song at this point, right? Yeah. The song about like, Hey, everybody wants to, uh, I wrote, everyone wants to be heard is what I wrote. Everyone wants to be important. Everyone wants to be heard. And I don't really want to say anything more. It's a boring song. Anyway, <laughs> they well, unless you have something, This David. does get into my biggest problem with this movie structurally. Again, as the two storylines kind of compete for being the A story or the B story and don't really pace themselves out particularly well, I feel like if, you know, this was a movie with a budget and a schedule that allowed them to write more than two drafts, they would find a way to really tie together the various identity crises that are happening in the different subplots because thick nose is having his identity crisis about not being the wisest anymore spike is having his identity crisis about where he belongs those are two threads that could almost be thematically relevant to each other and the movie just chooses to not make them relevant to each other yeah, these movies were made within like a uh, within a year of each other uh, between this one and the last one, which is pretty common for this franchise. Yeah, very rapid production schedule. I think I think you you're right on the money with you know one maybe two drafts of a script, and then they got to start working. Well, after the song, uh, the Stegosauruses are dying. They're lost. They're they're starving. And then Spike. Uh, his obsession with food, which has been his undoing countless times throughout this franchise, turns out to be his superpower because he can smell the green food from a mile away and he leads the other <laughs> Stegos on a pilgrimage back to the hot spring. And he, he gets there at the same time as all the other grown-ups from the Great Valley because our heroes use the avalanche trick to clear up the, the path and they go get the adults and bring them to the food. And everything is resolved. Spike comes back, and then we have one final uh, little little sting of peril. Uh, Spike falls through the thin ice in an area where the water is deep, and he's drowning. And the stegosaurs just stand there kind of aghast, and it's Ducky's mom that jumps into the water heroically to save him, proving that she's his real mom, and that's where he belongs. And, and then the movie just kind of ends. It actually has a, a very abrupt ending. Well, when Ducky's mom saves Spike... There's this close-up of Ducky going, that is my mama. My mama did that. And I was like, yeah, but that's not what the question of the movie was. Like, you weren't questioning your place in your family. We were questioning Spike's place in your family. Well, you could, you could be a, a pleased and excited that your mom just saved somebody. That's a, that's a normal thing to do. I'm not saying it's necessarily abnormal that she would be proud of her mama, but just the way the movie lingered on the shot of her made it feel like 
it's like this is the big thematic tie together moment and well what is spike supposed to say he can't talk (laughs) well Well, he could say mama well he did say mama he did mama well, uh, <laughs> Spike's fate is kind of the problem with Spike not being able to talk is that Spike's fate is decided not really by Spike in this scene. Like it's the Mrs. Stegosaurus who is like, well, I guess, uh, you know, I see who his his family really is. I don't remember us getting like a shot where we see Spike like looking at his parasaur mother in a new sort of way. It's just kind of like it does kind of feel like the family dog thing to me that you brought up like. Like, oh, I guess you care about the the baby more than I do because I was willing to cut it in half and you weren't. Well, let me ask. Well, I mean, <laughs> again, like S- Spike isn't is unfortunately stupid. He's he's not a very smart dinosaur. Yeah, which is I, unfortunate. I guess I think the ducky line would have worked better if she was like, "That's my mama," and "That's my brother." Like if she was declaratively, because that's the conflict that was supposed to be resolved was the conflict between the two of them. I also just noticed I have in my notes sharp tooth comes back, but I don't remember what happened the second oh, I time sharp tooth showed up. Um the more logs and cliffs. Uh they throw <laughs> logs and and it falls off another cliff. I think I grazed over. There's actually two sharp tooth attacks because the sharp tooth attacks Ducky when she's on her own, and she's the one I think that pushes a snowball after it. But then when it attacks Mr. Thicknose and the kids, Mr. Thicknose pushes a log down a cliff after it as a way of saying, "I'm a hero. I can help the children. I can be useful for something." Oh right. D- doesn't doesn't he use the cranial? D- doesn't he ram his head into yes. the log or something to knock yes, it over? Yes, yes. He uses the cranial impact. To See, see, we forgot because it doesn't matter. It's not an important <laughs> so, scene. So that's paying off that thread. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. And then the movie just ends. Like I kind of, it's just a very uh, abrupt ending. The final line of narration is saying, "And they all got a good night's sleep, even yes. Ducky." Then they could return to the Great Valley, where they could all get a good night's sleep, even Ducky. That's yes. the most important. Bringing things full circle. And and that and that's the moral is um sleep better. Yeah. You know, the moral is sleep 8 hours a, a night. Don't be sleep deprived. The moral is cure your insomnia by watching this movie. Mm, yes. It's a good uh, way to uh, do it. This movie gave me insomnia. So what's what's everyone's final thoughts about this movie overall? I thought it was inoffensive. <laughs> you know, I I went in expecting a lot worse and you know, obviously I found stuff to nitpick in it but it seemed like a solid like it seemed like a half decent episode of a saturday morning cartoon that was just stretched out twice as long as it needed to be as a result it had its cul-de-sacs and it's dragging things out but like there wasn't anything wildly obnoxious in it or a lot of the problems with children's entertainment were missing from it it was over the plate inoffensively fine (laughs) Yeah, I would agree with that. All of these movies are just like overblown Saturday morning cartoons. I think this one is definitely the, the best of the sequels we've seen so far. I agree it, with that. If only because it's it's more grounded than the other ones. A lot of these sequels have very just like broad problems like the dam the the water's been clogged or uh, there's a fire. Like it's it's very 
impersonal problems that are kind of like too like both too big and too small to really matter but i like that this one does focus on one character ducky and her problems and um her you know her relationship with spike i mean it's still not a great movie it's still a lot of like really weird things which is why i like th this franchise is kind of like the <laughs> the very strange moments that you can you can make fun of and there's, there's plenty of that um and, and not as much boring crap because at least th there's definitely good chunks of these sequels where we just don't talk about them on this podcast because they're just boring like the last one we watched has some truly bizarre scenes but then it has like 30 minutes of like i have nothing to say this is really boring yeah um, but this this one i think is is mostly pretty solid compared to the other ones the the emotional stuff toward the beginning works a lot better for me than the whole journey through the mysterious beyond part at the end which is where it kind of falls into the average land before time just dull whatever stuff so yeah you know they they uh they started stronger than they finished i think yeah land before time is always at its strongest when it's like making confused metaphors using dinosaurs instead of people i think that that's really what you come to uh, an lbtl movie for can i also uh point out because i forgot to before okay when the Great Valley is all snowy, all of the trees spontaneously change from tropical trees to pine trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember you pointed this out to me, and it was amazing. It really is a Christmas movie. Well, anyway, uh, thus ends the um, the plot recap portion of the show. Now we would like to cut to everyone's favorite segment, Dino Facts with Professor Truthosaurus. Yes. Uh, thank you, class. Uh, I have a guest lecturer named Mr. Thicknose, who's going to talk about how every <laughs> type of dinosaur... No. Um, <laughs> that would be fun, though. So today's Dino Facts segment is a double Dino Facts. We got, we got, a, we got a double dose of Dino Facts Ooh, today. We're double dipping into because, those Dino Facts. Yes, because this film is about Spike and Ducky. Uh, for the most part. So, I have a few facts about uh, Spike Tails, a.k.a. Stegosaurus, and I have a few facts about Parasaurolophus, a.k.a. Ducky. Uh, so, Stegosaurus is a lot of people's favorite dinosaur because it's very iconic. It's got this magnificent profile to it with the big plates going down the back and the spikes on the tail. And the function of the plates on the back is a great scientific mystery and arguably one of the most studied things about Stegosaurus. We really don't know what they were for. It's been suggested that they served a defensive purpose, that they were a type of armor, but that doesn't necessarily hold up because so much of the rest of the animal's body is vulnerable. Why would, you know, this thin row of very breakable plates going across the top, you know, really do much of anything. There is uh, the possibility that they were there for threat display. Uh, we took a look at, some scientists took a look at stegosaur plates and found that there are actually little channels running up them into which blood could have been flushed and these channels dead-ended so stegosaurs could have flushed blood up into these plates and created this 
flash of red color, which could have been this sort of threat display of, yeah, look at me, I'm big and scary and weird. It also could have been a thermoregulation purpose, sending blood up into these plates as a way of radiating heat off the body, or it simply could have been a species recognition thing. We really have no idea what the plates were for. But what we do know is that evolutionarily, the stegosaurs were eventually replaced by the ankylosaurs, which are the sort of tank-like, armadillo-like dinosaurs where their entire body is thickly coated in armor. So there, there is some credence there, just evolutionarily, to the function of the plates as armor because over time, the armor got better, so much better that it was covering nearly their entire body. But uh, as for the function of those early stegosaur plates, we may never really know. And then uh, Ducky is a parasaurolophus, or possibly a saurolophus. She's some sort of hadrosaur with a long crest on the back of her head. She's called a swimmer because we used to associate a lot of dinosaurs with being aquatic and thinking of parasaurs as living in in the water was a really common thing back in the day. Not so much anymore. They probably lived on land. They were grazing animals, much like cattle. But uh, the long crest has been another scientific mystery. And uh, a lot of talk about it suggests that they used it to make a unique vocalization so that they could make a type of call that could be recognized by other members of their kind from great distances. If you remember the scene in Jurassic Park 3 where they 3D print a little raptor resonating chamber and blow through it and create a raptor sound, that's kind of based on reality. You can kind of do that. And some students uh, at uh, UCSB, my own alma mater, I believe it was, created a model of the interior of a Parasaurolophus crest and blew through it, creating what they think is the actual sound that was made by a Parasaurolophus. That is about as close as you can come to hearing what a dinosaur actually sounded like. Unfortunately for Ducky and Spike, Parasaurolophus and uh, Stegosaurus were actually further apart from each other in time than we are to the extinction of the dinosaurs. Humanity is closer in time to Parasaurolophus than Parasaurolophus is to Stegosaurus. So unfortunately, well, no they, they never would have family conflicts. Exactly, they never would have met. But well, I mean, that, uh, that's, that's what, our dino fact. And that's what them. makes the Great Valley so magical was the fact that you could have these dinosaurs all together. Yeah, actually, Ducky would have shared a habitat with Sarah and um, probably Chomper as well. Uh, Petrie, a little earlier in time, and Spike and Littlefoot. Spike and Littlefoot would have lived together, but uh, much, much further back in time. I mean, yeah, that is interesting. So how did all the dinosaurs get together in the Great Valley? Uh, Well, I assume it was... Uh, a scientific accident with our own time portal that's sitting over there that hasn't happened yet. Oh, did we do that? We probably did. Did we do that? Yeah, by the end of this <laughs> podcast, we will probably do that somehow. Maybe we created Land Before Timeland. Well, that's interesting because that actually brings me to my segment because I like to do my own uh, section called, it doesn't have a name because names are for losers, with uh, Dr. Rongodactyl. 
just me. And um, this is the story of how all the dinosaurs um, got together after millions of years. What happened was they were all taken on a floating blimp-like structure by a very excited firefly that fed them breakfast cereal. And thus they joined the circus and then they fell into uh they fell into a a um, a sewage drain and ended up in that planet from warriors of virtue and then realizing that that place sucked ran into a windmill and ended up in um i don't know fucking uh endor or some shit also hated that and then <laughs> And then they flew, because dinosaurs are birds, and they flew through space uh, and landed in the the Great Valley. Which, again, shows how humble Mr. Thicknose is, because he has left the Great Valley. He's been to the moon. And, um, God, I don't know, the, the, the first level in the... Super Mario World, I guess, because there's a dinosaur in that. Dr. Rongodactyl, you seem to be uh, making up this latest theory as you went along. I, re I resent that statement, and I want to ask what your toes look like. <laughs> <laughs> For, for science. All right. Well, um, <laughs> that gets the science portion out of the way. Uh, no, it, it sure does. <laughs> so, <laughs> David, uh, we will, we will close out with uh, the question for you that we ask all of our guests. What is your favorite dinosaur and why? When I was a kid, my favorite dinosaur was probably T-Rex because I was basic. I was not picky. I loved all dinosaurs, but not enough to actually have the attention span to really study them at all. <laughs> I just liked the idea of dinosaurs so much. I, I was uh, totally non-denominational in my devotion to dinosaurs. Right. You're more of an agnostic to uh, dinosaurs. No, Littlefoot is an well, agnostic I'm, I'm open to, to all philosophies when it comes to dinosaurs. I, I'm the one who's hearing out both Mr. Thicknose's theories and Littlefoot's questions about them. Oh, so you're, you're, so you're a centrist about dinosaurs. Exactly. That what you're exactly. I'm a dinocentrist. <laughs> God, what a, what, a, what a position. I'm a, cent <laughs> I'm a, centristor a centrosaurus and... Uh, <laughs> The, the the most obnoxious. Uh, you know what? I thought all dinosaurs matter, not just <laughs> st <laughs> stegosaurs. Oh Christ, we're gonna get there, there were very fine dinos on both sides. <laughs> if the, all I'm saying is that why do the dinosaurs have to steal tree stars? You know, like what does that accomplish? What's with the violence? Once once they invent windows to break. Well, um, anyway, that is the end of our podcast. Uh, David, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, I do stuff on the internet. Uh, I, my YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Doggins, D-O-G-G-A-N-S. Uh, I also have a Patreon with the same screen name where I do a lot of special stuff behind the paywall, most of which will eventually make its way to the main channel, but some of it will just take a long time. <laughs> and uh, do you want to, uh, in the guise of your uh, armchair imagineering persona, do you want to armchair imagineer us a Land Before Time theme park ride real quick? 
Just off the well, top of your head? Off the top of my head, the best way to do a Land Before Time theme park ride is to once again refurb Jurassic Park, recently refurbed as Jurassic World, but now just refurb it as Land Before Time Land. Just refurb, you know, the final drop is actually dropping into the Great Valley from the waterfall. Oh, there you go. And uh, will there be animatronics of, of Maddie and myself uh, manning the time portal? Well, there would have been animatronics, but there's budget cuts, so you're just going to be screens now. Oh, that makes sense. I yeah. feel that. Will there be um, animatronic rocks and tree stars? My favorite characters in the Land Before Time <laughs> franchise. Well, the best part is... Uh, uh, with the refurb will come the refurb of the Jurassic Cafe as the Tree Star Cafe. So you're going to get Ooh. to pay $8 to eat a good leaf sandwich. Yeah, with no Ooh, dressing yeah. and no meat. It's also, the, the buns are also leaves. They could sell you big chunks of iceberg lettuce just cut into the shape of tree stars. You know what? I'm not going to lie. I fucking love iceberg lettuce. I would probably eat that. <laughs> Um, I will give you a million dollars to make that as long as one of the animatronics is a dinosaur that goes, eggs, eggs, eggs. eggs. And that's an item on the menu at Jurassic Cafe. Yes. Eggs. It has to be like just one page where it's just eggs. Like legs. Just, that's all it is. We will, of course, have the dinosaur growling eggs animatronic, but that will be the first animatronic that's taken out when they start going down, as Jurassic Park ride animatronics frequently do. Understandable. Yes. Understandable. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to argue against that. Uh, the, the Indominus Rex animatronic uh, for Jurassic World The Ride may be the first animatronic that was taken out before it was even put in. (laughs) 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 But uh, anyway... Uh, thank you again so much for joining us. Uh, oh, this was fun. This is fun. I'm glad I could be here. Now, as you step into the time portal, uh, just keep in mind that the jolts of electrical energy may cause uh, intense pain. Um, so, uh, but it's more like a pain. You know, there's a little accent on it, so it's much worse than you would think. Yeah, but uh, anyway, activating the time portal. Whoa! All right, here we are back in this place again. Yeah, I feel like it's been a while since we've uh, done a transmission from our uh, adventures, but uh, I think last time we had a Just Escape from Hell and uh, yada, yada, yada. Our uh, improvised rocket yeah. went around the sun a few times. Yeah, and you know, you know how it goes. And uh, we've been captured by apes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, this, this ape society. Ow! Quiet, human! You will remain silent while the torture is in progress. Hey, you can't treat him like that. I can treat him any way I want. You see, in our world, dinosaurs never existed, allowing apes to rise. We have no idea what dinosaurs are. Wow, that was a really um, unprompted statement. Quiet! You will give us your time portal device so we may rule all dimensions. That's right. I forgot we had a time portal device. Uh, Chris, I think I have an idea. Oh, hang on a second. Uh, Mr. Mr. Gorilla, Commander, look over there. It's a, a sexy orangutan. Where? Yeah, okay. uh, here over there also if you can. Okay, so we can talk now. Okay, so um, the, the, the ape commander just said that they don't know what dinosaurs are. Right. And they've never seen one. Right. So why don't we give him the time machine and let him go to Dinosaur Town, where he would just 
That's great. he doesn't know how dangerous or scary they are. Okay, I'm entering the coordinates for land before time land. He'll have okay. no idea. Okay, this is a good plan. Uh, I, I think you missed the orangutan. It, it, it went the other way. Oh, that's just my luck. Now, you better tell me how to use this time portal right now. And you better not start talking about dinosaurs again. We have no idea what those are or what danger they pose. You would never dream of it, sir. Uh, it's really easy. All you have to do is uh, is uh, bop it, uh, push it, and pull it. Bop it, push it, and pull it. Oh my God! Ah! Ah! Sparky, you're back. And I think you're on our side now? Yeah, Sparky's back, and he's a popular enough character that he's on our team. We're sorry we tried to sue you. Awesome. Thanks, Sparky. Uh, I know I know you listeners uh, don't speak T-Rex, but, uh, but Sparky says all is forgiven. Well, you know, listeners, sometimes, sometimes things do go your way in life. And sometimes a dinosaur... Is really a dino friend. All right, good night, everyone. Bye. This land was made for time and land. 